everyone. Welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the head of content at B2B Marketing. And I'm joined today by the uniquely named uh, Chief Disruptor at Deloitte, Ed Gregg. So, Ed, thanks for joining me. How are you? Hi, David. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very, very glad to be here. Fantastic. You're in a professional podcast setup. You've got the headphones on. I know. Yeah. I like to have my headphones on. Yeah. We're also surrounded by um, camera equipment, which I can't figure out how to use, but I'm sure it would have been useful. <laughs> Well, it's been said before that I've got a face for radio, so it's probably best <laughs> you haven't switched it on. Well, that's, that's uh, very, very fortunate. So, uh, well, thank you for joining me today. Um, to our listeners, you know, we're going to be talking about all of the sort of cool technologies that marketers may want to get their hands on. Um, AI is obviously the big one at the minute that we, we really want to talk about. But before we get to all of that, I just want to understand a bit about what your role actually is and how you got you know, how you got there in the first place. It's obviously quite a unique role. Yeah, it is. So my my role and my team's role, so I'm part of a team called the X Lab within uh, Deloitte, and our role is to work with new technology and look at how we can get it delivering real tangible benefit as quickly as possible to uh, our clients, to ourselves within Deloitte, and to wider society. Uh, And so that involves working with a wide range of technologies but our motto, as I think we'll come on to a bit later on, is is to fall in love with the problem, not in love with the solution. So we do get to work with a lot of exciting stuff, but but that real focus, as I say, is on is on actually really bringing benefit from it because uh, it's very easy to get caught up in all this new technology and maybe not see it translate into uh, all of all of the potential benefits it might do. Um, so yeah, and in terms of in terms of how I got the role, uh, I mean, so my background is actually um, farming and butchery. Um, so I grew up on a farm, and uh, I think that kind of gave me a love for getting my hands dirty and like building stuff. And um, but but I always enjoyed like I'd enjoyed like a combination of creativity, but also maths and and those type of problems as well. And so I found programming to be something that I really enjoyed. And I did that at school. Um, I wasn't supposed to be doing it at school. So it was very much an extra, extra curricular um, that I got told off for doing if I was caught doing it, which is, you know, ironic now that it is my job. But um, I uh, so so did that. We built some games at school. And then I um, when I got to university, I actually started working in radio and the first website I, I had to build was for our radio show. And uh, it was our radio show went out at 9 a.m. on a Sunday, um, real primetime slot at a university, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, and uh, I the, the night before, I'd kept saying I was going to build the website that week. And then the night before, I was like, oh, God, I really have to uh, get get myself together and build this website so I built it overnight and then and then we went live at 9am on the Sunday and that approach to doing everything at the last minute has very much uh, continued to persist today but it did that that was what started me kind of building building websites and stuff and then joined Deloitte uh, well did some front-end development <coughs> after university joined Deloitte um, because I wanted to work in a bigger team and because I could do that creative side, but also the tech side, I, I did quite a lot of prototyping for new tech. And the first one I did was for a tablet app for retail and then started to do more and more kind of new tech prototyping, um, was involved in our, our internal hackathons, involved in organizing those. And so they then created the the disruptor role originally. And then 
um, our CEO, now CEO, called me chief disruptor. And I was like, before he'd even finished the sentence, I'd, I'd updated it on LinkedIn and, and uh, I've been chief disruptor ever since. Fantastic. Well, really interesting story. And radio as well. So you've almost come full circle here today. Yeah. And I'm back back doing the radio. That's why I had to have my headphones on. Yes. Yeah. yeah, just it feels feels right. <laughs> we'll get some sort of um, explosion noises and stuff going off soon. As oh, well. yeah. Yeah. Like a good a good soundboard going. Yeah, yeah. that would be great. Every time something's disrupted, we'll um, we'll press yeah. it. <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't really like in the despite the name Chief Disruptor, I wasn't really in the shock jock kind of mold. We were more into music mm. but I did love I did love a good segue and I did love a good pun in terms of the uh, the things that I was doing oh, yeah. that was a that was a radio fail in that my laptop was not on, my phone's on silent <laughs> but my laptop was not on silent so. I'm sure you'll be forgiven well look thank you for um for joining and, and sharing um as I've, as I've already said but I think you touched on something already which was you know you love to fall in love with the the problem not the solution um, which I think is obviously a very sensible way of going about things, especially given that every year there's some new technological zeitgeist kind of takes the public's, um, yeah. you know, all the attention. And currently it's obviously AI, which yeah. does genuinely feel like a, a real game changer. But when you do find out about some new interesting technology, what is the first thing you do before you start trying to go out and find solutions? Do you just read all about it? Do you do you try and get hands on with the tech? Definitely try and get hands on with it. I mean that that's that that is our is kind of our key our, our key role as X Lab is is definitely to experiment and explore with this technology. And I think we so so yeah, absolutely. The first thing is is can I sign up for a demo? Can I have a go with it? Um, and that's w- what we try and do. And I think we we have a good understanding a relatively good understanding of the type of problems that are out there because we do not just do that sort of exploration work Mm. we are also working directly with clients on client problems and i mean as a large organization ourselves we have issues as well and ways in which the the organization can be made more efficient and so we can kind of see those opportunities when we are using using something new but I mean, not to say this on a marketing podcast, but a lot of if you don't have a go with it and you rely purely on the marketing, that can be dangerous um, because obviously all the people who listen to B2B marketing are good people who would never lie in their marketing content. But there are unfortunately other people out there who are less scrupulous about their marketing. And so, yeah, you you really do have to uh, try it out because especially Mm. in this new technology space, everyone is promising that their thing is a magic bullet. And um, and that's that's where this idea of falling in love with the problem, not in love with the solution really comes from is because if it's very easy to fall in love with these solutions and it's very easy to get caught up in that hype and caught up in all the marketing hype. And so yeah, the, the the main thing is to get in there and try it out and, and test test it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those marketers. What what do you think those sort of dodgy dodgy dealers are, are up to? Well, I mean, as I say, the, the, this there's a tendency to, um, I mean, this this could go quite deep into, you know, procurement, um, but <laughs> but there's there's a tendency to. Um, to to want to sell things as a as as a magic bullet as i say and uh, because and and have this kind of point solution that will solve solve all of these problems because often that is what clients are looking for like they're 
they're looking for a shortcut. And so mm. if if you sell something that's like, yeah, you know, buy this, but then you'll also need to buy this, this and this. And, you, you know, there'll be quite a lot of work on integration and all of those kind of things. Then that that's that's a hard that's a hard sell. I mean, not to now then use this as an opportunity to sell Deloitte. But I mean, like what, often what we do is we act as that orchestrator and integrator so that we can say, you can have all of these solutions, but but you it is going to be it is going to be a case of you're going to need multiple parts in order to make this work. You're not just going to be able to have one thing that does does everything uh, really really well. And so so I get that. I mean, yeah, you know, I get why marketers take that approach. Um, but I think I think with new technology, the downside of it is that you do get a lot of people within organizations who've then been burned by that mm. and so have then become very cynical about about some of this stuff and actually then potentially are missing out on the opportunities uh because they've they've been burned by you know people more towards the snake oily end of the uh, spectrum yeah i can understand why people feel burned though i mean it this, yeah. i mean last year the the big one was NFTs. In fact, I remember interviewing you on the very subject. And I'm not saying they're not still relevant and they're not going anywhere. I'm not saying that at all. But I think it's fair to say that I, the, the hype is there was died. A, there, there was a huge there was a huge amount of hype, which I fortunately um, I, I am glad to say that I was very much not bought into. Um, which which I think it is. I mean, they were they were a classic case of a solution in the problem in search of a problem. I think that the I mean, in that case, a lot of the people marketing them weren't professional marketers. They were people who were bought up in the bought up in the hype and heavily invested in the hype. And so it was more like a um, a pyramid scheme than or, mm-hmm. or a Ponzi scheme than it was like a a case of unscrupulous marketing. Like it was, it wasn't. Yeah, it was because they weren't. They, a lot of them weren't professional marketers. There were some people who were professional marketers involved, but that was a, that was a crazy, a crazy, crazy situation, which is kind of inevitable when you uh, attach value to a speculative asset like that. Like people are gonna, people are gonna do it. But but it was that, it was that veneer of technology on top of it that I think allowed it to get go that far yeah. because people were like oh but there is something else there this isn't just a trading card situation like there is something else because there's this magic technology that's and then all of the going back to this magic bullet like all of the things that in theory nfts were then going to be able to do and to be fair there are potentially some useful use cases for nfts there's certainly useful use cases for 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 blockchain and decentralization uh, i mean distributed ledgers potentially have a role in validating the authenticity of things in an age where authenticity is going to be increasingly hard to validate mm. because of the advent of of ai and things like that so they they have a role but as a as an asset class that was a that was that was dangerous because it was that it was that like future promise, like it's a tech thing. Make sure that you you know catch this wave. Like you could be investing in the next Apple kind of thing. Plus uh, and uh, you know, plus these these massive valuations that were being put out, and so it was a perfect storm of um, 
things that could could make people overhype something. Yeah. I mean, so you've already mentioned it. AI is yeah. obviously uh, the big one at the moment. It is. Is that is that warranted? Is is the hype is is it well, is it hype or is it genuine um well, excitement but also fear, I suppose. So it's it's an interesting one because it is a combination of it is a combination of both. I mean, there's no doubt that a lot of people who were here for the the NFT and metaverse stuff are now back uh, for, for <laughs> AI, and there are a lot of a lot of similar similar people. Um, I saw a quote today which said that a lot of what we call tech is actually just finance in hoodies um and it's people who are looking for a way to make money um when interest rates are high mm-hmm. um and so other ways to make money when interest rates are high and i mean that's that that's that's very that's so well yeah anyway i've heard that is uh, <laughs> just to, just before i annoy lots of people with that but but i do think i do think that's true so there is an element of that with this um I think that also there's an element of uh, some of the some of the demos that have been done with um, with large language models and generative AI look great, but are very much a they they are very much demos mm. and they are very brittle and wouldn't and so so when they're saying oh look this can do this amazing thing it's not repeatable like it's it's actually they've they've set it up very specifically to to do it and to you know get clout online um so those are those are kind of the caveats and and those things wouldn't necessarily and specifically large language models do have quite a lot of drawbacks because they the 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 hype at the moment is about this specific type of of, of ai generative ai either large language models or diffusion models for from from the point of view of um generating images and so so yes there's a lot of hype around this but underlying that um the the idea of automation and using automation to eliminate hopefully um more the more mundane aspects of of work and the things that we're doing that's something that i've been interested in for ever since i started in the in the disruptor role so back in 2015 so so yes, like underlying this, there is a trend towards our ability to automate aspects of work that we've been looking at for, for a long time. I mean, there was a um, uh, there was a study published not long before I started as a disruptor by the Oxford Martin School, which was quite a um, uh, it was a study that was um, cited a lot um, by Osborne and and um, Carl Benedict Frey and that was about about the threat of automation and that was what well threat opportunity of automation i think it was it was they characterized it more as a threat and they were talking about the the number of jobs that could potentially be automated and i th- and that was a paper that we often cited back in back in 2015 2016 when we were talking about this so this 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 has been a real thing for a long time a lot of the reason why this hasn't taken off to the extent that um i think it could have done is because uh and this goes back to this idea of falling in love with the problem not in love with the solution is that a lot of the things that you need in order to make 
the this successful are, are are quite hard like to to ai is only as good and automation is only as good as the data going into it mm. and often that means like doing some hygiene and house cleaning within your organization that is quite hard and people don't like people would much prefer someone to come to them and say hey i've got this magical ai solution that will solve all your problems and you don't have to do anything it'll just solve it straight up and you just pay this license fee and all of your problems will go away and realistically that that isn't that isn't possible and so uh, so where whereas someone saying hey this will work but you're going to have to do you're going to have to reorganize your processes you're going to have to structure data within your organization better you're going to have to do knowledge management right and then with all of these things you'll have a really really powerful tool on your hand not not a lot of people get excited by knowledge management even though it's like it's the most important thing um and, and this th this has the potential to make some of that stuff easier but it's um but yeah it does involve it does involve quite a lot of hygiene factors it's like getting offered like a really cool pair of trainers mm. and that is that's cool like the same trip trainers that Usain Bolt was wearing or Mo Farah was wearing um but they are not you, there is a lot of hard work that goes into those trainers giving you a sub 10 second 100 meters and I think it's I think a lot of people are just buying the trainers without actually doing <laughs> any of the training or the eating the right things or doing all of that sort of stuff and so I think that um that is uh, and so so yeah when but when people start to do that when organizations start to do that more and more stuff is going to be able to be automated and i think that is going to be challenging and i'm glad that we're having the conversation now even though i don't think that necessarily large language models are necessarily going to be the route to a lot of that um uh, automation mm. necessarily they are kind of a precursor to it and so and we do we do have to have that conversation because it's going to i was speaking to someone from a design agency yesterday and um they were talking about uh they were talking about how concerned they are and and so because some of the some of the ancillary jobs around uh, around this type of work potentially it can go i mean now you can with these diffusion models you can take just a a, a picture of a shoe that you just took like a super basic picture of a shoe that you just took using trainers an example i saw an advert for nike pegasus on the way in <coughs> when i was cycling in and so that's why i'm thinking about trainers a lot but <laughs> you can um you can take a picture of a shoe just in this studio or on a table and then you ask the diffusion model to then place it you know wherever in like a really stylized mm. product pro, uh, product shot and it could do that and that eliminates a lot of a lot of ancillary jobs so there's still a designer who's asking you know asking it to do that but the person who was setting up the studio the person who was you know doing the lighting all of those kind of uh, ancillary jobs around that suddenly become unnecessary because you were just able to take the product and then you were able to create that those uh, those product shots and uh, you know this has happened this obviously happened before in lots of different areas but I, I do think that that is um, it, I do think it's important that we have the conversation around that because I think that conversation is going to get 
more and more complicated and more and more people are going to be impacted by it. Yeah. Are we seeing many people actually use generative AI in that way yet? Because I feel like currently yeah. when I see people using generative AI, it's, you know, it's a blog post or it's a LinkedIn post and, it's element. usually started off with, I use generative AI to write this post, yeah. and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's okay. Or worse, um, they leave it to the end, and it's yeah. that sort of oh, gotcha moment. Went, uh, yeah, yeah, this was all written by generative AI, and you're like, yeah, I was thinking it was kind of not great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think um, uh, this sort of change tends to happen, it, it takes longer to happen than you think, and then it happens a lot faster than mm. you think. Um forgotten who the person who said that was but um that is that's not me that's a quote from someone more intelligent than me um and so what is his name he's called ray is his first name but um, winston <laughs> the only not, one that comes to mind it's not ray winston um i'm sure ray winston also the source of much <laughs> wisdom um but that it, that is not one of the wise things that ray winston has said um <laughs> I'm just trying to stall for time. This is this is what I used to do on the radio is is you know stall for time while I was trying to uh come up with the answer to a question. But have we got this? Have I got the have I got it? Oh no, cuz I'm not connected to the internet and the file is on the internet. Um so uh, so no, I can't tell you the answer to that. It's Ray something. Um but um yeah, I think it, it will it will happen quite fast. I mean, I think one of the things about artificial intelligence is that um, everything gets called artificial intelligence until it starts solving a problem, and then it just gets called the you know it just gets called by mm. the name of the problem. So, um, when you uh, having the ability to search through uh, your photos for the face of a specific person, that's one hundred percent artificial intelligence. But now it's just called image search yeah. like and so a, a lot of it just fades into the background and i think for marketers i think potentially the 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 content that you are seeing called out as gpt generated or or large language model generated is is visible but i think very quickly as people start to get good with it like it will it you'll it'll disappear you won't you won't see it and i mean that's that's when that's that's what we try and achieve with technology is is so that you don't notice the technology anymore yeah. that's kind of the goal with it um and so i i have a feeling i get a sense that it is um that that i mean and what, what the other thing that i think is really interesting about this round of generative ai is any anyone can access it and so Whereas with other things, like, for example, virtual reality, it was like, oh, have you tried it yet? Because, yeah, you, you'd have had to buy a headset um, or you'd have, you had to try it on somewhere. With this, someone can send you the link and you can be trying it in minutes. And in terms of um, applying a technology to solve the real specific real life problems that people have, that's a very good way of getting people to apply it to the real problems that they have and i think you're seeing it in in terms of like i have quite a few friends who are teachers and i think how it's impacting the education sector is is huge because again kids can all access this and so the amount this is being used in schools is uh 
it i mean it's being used a lot and 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 i mean and obviously the goal there is that the technology disappears into the background because yeah. kids would ideally like it that then it's not noticed but some of them i have seen some essays that were submitted with that start with as a large language model which is you know you've fallen at the first yeah. hurdle when you didn't <laughs> yeah, when yeah. you didn't notice that when you're copying and pasting it that's 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 shoddy like um but yeah do you think there's a danger there though that if kids are using it that young and this is getting very philosophical but i love that though. yeah <laughs> i did i did philosophy politics and economics at, at uni so oh, th- this is the, the, this is exactly the direction i want it to go this in. is your bread and butter yeah um is, is there a danger in that then for kids because if they're it, it's almost like they're jumping the queue that I mean, in the same way that you're never going to get good at painting if you're just asking AI to generate a nice oil painting for yeah, you, yeah. are we depriving an entire generation of those skills? I think potentially yes, but I think, um, and this is very philosophical, and this is a discussion that we've had, but I think potentially this comes back to how you, you know, I think the the approach to education is important here and, and what is the role of education I think that comes into it. I think, but but yeah, I think if you if you uh, do do that, um, then then you are you are potentially um, depriving kids of that. But I, but I think the role of education should be to teach people to you know to to love doing those things that that they enjoy doing and bring them happiness. And I mean, people still do paintings even though they could take a photograph of something, mm. and so. People said this about photography was that it would it would eliminate yep, paintings, sure. and they said this about, um, uh, yeah, I mean, calculators and mental mental arithmetic. I do think that that, that probably has been quite damaging, and um, phones and the ability to remember phone numbers. It's less of an interesting one, but it's um, but and I mean, and, and you look at you look at Google as well because that that ability to have all of that information at your fingertips and not need to like well what is he called what is he called ray i think it's like anhausen or something mm. but the point i was making is that so the point i was making is that we've thought several times throughout history that that a new piece of technology is going to eliminate our ability to do something and i think that the power of this round of technology definitely does it does feel fundamentally different and i've argued it's fundamentally different in terms of why we need to take this round of automation more seriously but um i think that at the same time from the point of view of like developing us as humans and stunting us as our ability to grow as humans i think that you know that that we need to view technology as an enabler and as a tool um, in order to make li- our lives better. And I think as long as you're as long as you're doing that, as long as you're falling in love with the problem, not in love with the solution, as I've said a couple of times, um, then I think you are. Then I think you're okay in that regard, um, because I think you uh, you you then are. Um, I think you that are then focused. You can then see if um, something is potentially going to be going to be having that impact. But again, that's that's why I think um, from from as an as an educator, you need to be thinking about not how do I get the kids best able to write an answer to this question, 
using all of the tools that they have available. It, but it's like, how do I teach them to understand the value of this of this type of writing? Not in getting the high marks in the exams, because mm. there are obviously <coughs> other ways to do that now. But how can I, yeah, how can I teach them the value of that? And uh, and in in this, I mean, to be honest, in the same way that you are still taught mental arithmetic, and um, and y with this, you might say this is actually this is more valuable than than mental arithmetic and you need to spend more time on this part of it um but but yeah i mean used right i mean we we do use and my colleague especially um uses it, uh the large language models a lot at work and and primarily as a as an inspiration kind of thing so i think what's interesting around this uh set of this this uh wave of ai is that it's very much it's less of a uh, consumption wave and it's more about that co-collaboration co-creation with the ai and i think so um my colleague ben and i think it's okay to call him out on this one um to refer to him but my colleague ben he if if he's wanting to start off a thinking session he'll often use the AI to kind mm. of give him a prompt to get started in. And then there's the back and forth. And I think that it is interesting, that conversational nature, which they've, uh, which they've created with this current crop of AI models, I think is quite interesting, but that does mean that it feels much more collaborative rather than you just, I mean, obviously in the case of the kid who, who just wrote the question mm. to his essay and, and pulled it out like that that's not great that's consumption but i think that um you can use it collaboratively if your goal is somewhere beyond just just the, the kind of the search results and i think for that sort of that sort of ideation and and for summarizing stuff as well i mean it's absolutely brilliant at doing at doing that like mm. it's really i've i've used it quite a few times where like something wasn't going to fit and so i just said just give it to me in 50 words and it's just done it and like that's takes out some some faff of something like that so yeah it's uh it's 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 very interesting and that that uh that sort of working with it um i do think is interesting but again anyone who then says oh yeah it's all, all going to be about people working together with it and no one's going to lose any jobs because it's all just going to be collaborating as is um that's that's not true there, there's no magic formula that means that there will be enough jobs for everybody and when people were coming up with the ai no, no one's kind of working together thinking like mm, how how far should we push this technology should we push it far enough so that it does the work of this many people or yeah, yeah, yeah. like there's no there's no inherent balance to that system and and we did i mean when we talked about it 2015 a lot of people were saying yeah don't worry you know it, it, throughout history new jobs have been created off the back of technology but again the idea that that's some sort of law of nature that's going to balance out and and achieve full employment is um frankly mental so yeah. it, you know that 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 is not there is nothing that um ensures that that will happen and so i think it's uh it's very important that we have a discussion about what what happens if that becomes very imbalanced. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine, you know, for um, you know more senior people in their career, yeah, uh, the the use of ChatGPT is going to be really valuable because it gives them time to um, 
have that sort of creative space to think if you like yeah. but you know let's not forget that every industry has very very young people working from you yeah. know 21 year olds 22 year olds yeah. straight out of university or even you know just out of school yeah um and you know i think in, in the vast vast majority of industries the work that those individuals work on in, at the very beginning is the kind of very basic um it's quite you know boring tasks but it's the 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 foundations of that business how mm. how it's built yeah um and it seems to me that those people are going to be the first ones at risk i don't want to fear monger no. but that's just you know to me the the uninitiated you know i'm not an expert in ai of course but that would be my worry is that something you also worry about yeah i d definitely and i think that i mean in the same way that i talk about how education is going to need to shift i think that how industries respond to this is also is also going to need to shift and how they think about talent and and uh nurturing talent i think is going to need to is going to need to shift in response to it um there's a few i mean actually this is something that's come up at most of the times when i've talked about this this particular mm. question around talent and and junior talent within organizations has come up and i mean interestingly it also came up uh following the shift towards hybrid and distributed working following COVID, a lot of people were saying, how will junior members learn by osmosis from other people in, in, in the organization? And I think that um, going back to, again, kind of going back to fall in love with the problem, not in love with the solution. I think the word that came up for us most often when we were talking about how we were going to have to shift our ways of working in response to the increase in hybrid and distributed working was we need to be more deliberate. Like we need to be very clear about the problems that we need to solve. One of those is how do you train junior talent? Mm -hmm. How do you make them good enough to then take over the mantle of, of, uh, and, and, you know, continue to improve and develop and learn. Um, and and so that 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 is that is something that that needs to happen within your organization and you need to be deliberate about it because i think what we found was that a lot of organizations <clears throat> were relying on that that talent transfer happening organically and they would just they were just like oh we'll put everyone in an office and then the talent transfer because it's always happened mm. it will continue to happen but no one was actually monitoring that situation to say, is is talent transfer yeah. actually happening in the way that we want it to? Um, it was just assumed that because it's the way that we've always done it, we could just we could just do it that way and can and you know continue to do it that way. And so I think that um, being deliberate about your approach, I think is. Um, that that I think is really important and I uh, so so I think yeah being deliberate about junior talent I mean the other thing that we've seen that's really important to be deliberate about is is um uh is also you know culture within an organization and so yeah organization's going to have to figure that out because you could say hey we can save money by automating this but then if in the long term that means that there's going to be no one to take over the business then that's that you're going to have to think longer term about this and be more deliberate about it because um, if if your plans in five to ten years time have humans at the head of your business, then then you're going to need to figure out a way to make sure that you've got those people 
and um and and i think that that shift is quite hard for some businesses because they've been set up to optimize for short-term returns and thinking longer term outside of the next financial year or even or even two or three financial years ahead it's something that doesn't come instinctively to them but but those type of problems that you're talking about there th- those those are things that do require you to look ahead so that's um yeah that that's that's definitely something i think more businesses should be doing is is thinking about the future thinking about the direction they want to take them in i mean what what we talk about is this idea of the tangible hypothesis so like what's the ideal experience you want to create for your employees and for your clients and and then and then that's a it's a hypothesis but but what does that look like tangibly so what does that look like at a person at a human level what would that look like and then that allows you to then kind of work backwards from that and then figure out you know okay now how can we how can we get there and it's a hypothesis in the sense you look to iteratively validate it but it is tangible rather than just saying we're going to have a great client experience or we're going to deliver personalized marketing like what because what does that mean like uh, what does that mean actually to to individuals and what what more importantly what does that mean to the different departments within your business because if they're both thinking different things and going off in different directions then that um that sort of vague vision for the future is pointless i know you said that um you know you you obviously start with the problem not the solution which as we discussed is obviously the the best way to go about things but do you find that technology very often isn't actually the solution at all and a lot of the times your role incorporates just improving the processes and stuff like 100%, that. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Absolute music to my <laughs> headphone bedecked ears. Um, that's a callback. If he if he's edited it out, that won't make any sense. But I'm wearing <laughs> headphones. The um, the I, that is absolutely right. I, I think it, it, so. One of the things that I say, not to like give away what I'm going to be saying in the talk on uh, um, at the ignite conference but um the one of the things that i say is that it, when i joined deloitte i did i joined the technology team because i was like oh yeah well every project will have a technology element to it and so that means i can work wherever i want because i have a very short attention span and so the idea of working in lots of different industries and on lots of different projects appealed to me um but then what I realized as I've gone through it is every project is a cultural change project. And this is, I think, what what becomes really interesting about the role of, of marketing and comms more broadly. Because actually, a lot of this stuff does come down to cultural change and marketing and communications and telling good stories within your organization. Because actually, that's often a lot more important than the technology implementation itself. And... So, yeah, what I've realized is every project is a cultural change project. All of them are enabled by technology now, but they're enabled by technology. They are not technology projects. And if you treat them as a technology implementation and not as a cultural change, then it will fail, um, guaranteed. And I think that is um, that was a big realization for me. I've And I think when we talk about falling in love with the problem, it's the cultural change problem that you need to be falling in love with. And that's, that is absolutely essential because if you, if you think it's a technology problem that you're trying to solve, as I say, it will, it will not work. So, and I I think this is where 
this is where like internal marketing and internal storytelling become become really really key. I, I think there's I think there's an interesting development around the role of marketing in terms of how they become the voice back of the customer. So like linking consumer research and marketing so that that is a that is like a a, a tight a much tighter feedback loop and that you have better conversations through through that and that it becomes more of a conversation right so that's another interesting development and direction for marketing but i think the i think one of the ones that i'm really interested in is how you use all those tools to convince your customers and your clients how do you use those to convince your people internally to move in this new direction um there's a quote that i do actually know the source of um, but it is it is often misquoted from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who wrote The Little Prince. And he says, though he didn't say this exactly, he said something longer and not quite as pithy. <laughs> but if you want to uh, if you want to build a boat, don't teach your people how to sew sails and cut wood and tell them how to do all that stuff. Get them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And it's similar to that, but it's not quite that. But hey, look, I'm getting out in front of the fact any pedants who who correct me on that. Um, but the and obviously he said it in French as well, so it sounded beautiful. But the, um, the I think the thing about that is that that is a that's a storytelling job, that's a marketing job, and and that really is the point right now is that you can't micromanage your way to this. Like you need to, yeah, get people excited about the direction that you're going in and then they will solve the problems i mean going back to what we were saying about um these large language models and people having access to them i think that's what's so exciting is that loads of people have access to them and so they're using them to solve their specific problems in their own way which Mm. is different to yeah being told how to use the system and like this is the way that you use it and all of that sort of stuff people are figuring this stuff out on their own and they're really good at that and yeah, if you can get people excited about that direction with your internal marketing and your internal storytelling, then I think you will find, and then you give them, you enable them and you give them the tools to kind of solve those problems. They'll solve those problems and they'll figure out ways to do it. If they are yearning enough for that vast and endless sea, you'll, you'll get a boat. Yeah. Well, that's the question though, isn't it? Because I think, you know, a lot of marketers do yearn for that vast and endless sea, a lot of very interesting in it. But um, to, be, take a more sort of cynical look at it. I think a lot of people actually aren't really that interested in AI at all. They don't, they don't want to know. They'd rather be on the outside and wish things kind of stayed the way they are in their comfort zone. I'm not afraid to say I think I possibly fall into that category. Yeah. Is that a challenge you face? You know, do you find that people, you know, they're, they're, they're quite, they've already made their mind up before you go to them with AI as a possible solution for them? Yeah, definitely. Um no, and actually, I was I was chatting about that um, with someone last week. Um, so I don't know what the policy is on this podcast around swearing, but um, the moment that we <laughs> the moment that we try and generate in our clients is is that oh shit moment, because the the thing is the thing is if you don't like something, that's fine, but if your competitors do like it Mm -hmm. and start using it then that you're not necessarily going to be able to maintain the status quo and and i am i am definitely not a fan for of technology as i hope has been made clear 
in this podcast, but I'm not a fan of technology for technology's sake. I'm not a fan of progress for progress's sake in the sense of, you know, like technological progress. Like I want to see progress in terms of us having, you know, better lives and a better society, but not um, just progress for progress's sake. It doesn't need to go faster or, or you know, like be bigger just because um uh just just because we can do that but i think that um i i, th- I think that that as organizations and often as individuals um you do have to there there is still like an element of competition and i think um people have to be aware of that and i think people have to be aware that often maintaining the status quo is not going to be enough to um uh to 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 keep them there it's a bit like in alice in wonderland where the red queen tells alice that she'll have to run as fast as she can just to stay in the same place and that is kind of how it's like at the moment because change is coming very fast and so what we and i mean in a way red queen was trying to generate an oh shit moment for alice there um and and I think that's the that's the thing is that yeah most um, I think all, all industries and all individuals have the potential to be impacted by this and it, and the change doesn't is necessarily just coming from technology I mean look at look at the pandemic that instituted these massive changes and so your ability to adapt and flex to these changes is vital because not because of the changes that I can predict, but from the changes that I can't predict. And so you need to have what we call the organizational rhythm, that flexibility and adaptability to be able to cope with um, uh, with that oncoming change because it is, um, yeah, because it's coming fast. And I think that um, uh, you just, you, you, you don't want to get, you don't want to get hit by that um uh so so with what i get people when people weren't excited about the nfts in the metaverse i think absolutely fair enough i think with um because in some cases it was it was packaged up in a very not very appealing way and and i mean it was packaged up by people who were trying to sell you something and rather than people who were saying like this is actually how the world could be better Mm. And I think quite a lot of the AI stuff, again, like if it's people selling you something, then yeah, you're right to ignore them. But um, but more broadly, like automation and that change and all of those kind of things, that's uh, something that I think you don't want to ignore and like you don't want to um, lose your ability to run fast to stay in the same place because, um, yeah, that, that could be, that's, you know, they switch the treadmill on. And then you you fall off the back. Just using a lot of running metaphors at the moment, <laughs> and some wonderful literary references. Uh, yeah, I know. Well. Really glad to have got those in. Um, I only know about that Red Queen reference from. It's actually I've I know it from uh, Lost World. He refers to it. Michael Crichton refers to it in <laughs> in the Lost World. So I, I don't I don't think I've ever actually read the the actual Alice in Wonderland quote, but. Yeah. I, I know it's there. Well, it sounds good, at least. It does sound yeah. good, yeah. Which is a consultant is the main thing I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Well, Ed, thank you very much for joining me, and um, I'll see you at Ignite. Thank you very much, David. Cheers. See you there. Bye-bye.